got mad about it, okay? So maybe it's in traffic, groceries. Maybe it's a promotion where you worked really hard at a company for a while, and some young person comes in, they're very self-promoting, and all of a sudden, they have the job you've been binding for. Um, Mitchell Liu and gang coined a phrase, in line for a girl, so like, or guy, like you're just waiting for them. Oh, so maybe someone cut in front of you in line. Um, you were waiting for half a year, and then someone swooped in. So um, yeah, I would just love for us to go ahead, break off into smaller groups, and, and share about a time where you got mad because someone cut in front of you. And I'll be back in a minute. All right, thanks for sharing, everyone. So I have some, like, I get a little crazy when people cut in front of me at times. Other times I just let it go. It's not a big deal. But I remember this one time um, I was at a movie theater. And this is before, like, assigned seating on all of that. I was in college. And so there was a movie premiere, and we were literally waiting, like, an hour and a half to get in with this big group and get like all the middle seats, you know? So we're just standing there talking, an hour and a half goes by, we're getting really like cranky and stuff. And then we see this like group of people walk in front of the people in front of us, like two of them. And we're like, are they cutting, you know? And then uh, all of my elementary school trauma started coming out. And then, and then they signaled to their friends and like another 10 people walk in front of the people in front of us. And so the people in front of us was like this dad with a mom and a daughter. So he was getting mad. So he started talking to them. So all my friends started jumping in, and we were like talking to them. And then um, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go get a worker so we don't start fighting. And then, um, and then as that happens, the doors open up, and everyone starts following into the theater. And I remember me, my friends and the dad just so angry that they were like getting away with cutting in line. And sometimes we just get super heated over those moments. And, and some of them seem really small and insignificant, and we get really mad. But other times, especially when it's a promotion or something um, kind of less physical, it gets really upsetting as well. But we're looking at this series in the Gospels that Jesus teaches, um, and we have this phrase that comes up over and over again. Last week with the rich young ruler, this week as we talk about the workers and the vineyard, and next week as Jesus talks about servanthood, you have this one line, and it says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. And that theme threads all of these passages or narratives together. And I think it's a really difficult concept to understand because we live in a world, and this is some of what Jesus is saying, we're living in a world where the first is first and the last is last. And in some ways, in many ways, his kingdom flips that upside down. That the people we assume to be at the top are at the bottom in his kingdom. And the people we assume to be at the bottom, somehow in his kingdom, are the ones that flourish, are the ones that rule and reign with him. And so in the last week, we saw that with the rich young ruler. Again, all of us want to be rich and young and have power. All of us ascribe and, and desire to have these things. And Jesus is saying it's actually harder for him to enter into the kingdom, almost impossible, compared to these little kids in this narrative or, or scene right before where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. So we think about God's kingdom and we think about how it's about being dependent. It's about being vulnerable. It's about needing Jesus instead of 
feeling self-sufficient. And then in this passage, it's actually, I think, even more confusing. As a lot of you guys have read this in small group, let me read it to you today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 5. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Almost everyone worked for about a denarius a day in that time period. So they, they basically made a coin that you would pay for a day's worth of work. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, and to get off of work at six, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Didn't, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So in this passage, it's actually a very simplistic parable. There's a landowner representing God going out to a marketplace with people who haven't been hired and employed. And every few hours, he goes into this marketplace. He sees people who still don't have work, and he invites them to work in his vineyard, which represents the kingdom of God. But the, what happens is that he pays everyone the same amount of money. And so the last people who only worked for an hour got the same pay as the people who were hired at 9 a.m., and so the people hired at 9 a.m. started complaining. But as seen in the first part of the parable, the landowner agreed with them that they would get a denarius, and that's what they got. And so they're really criticizing God's generosity. But from there, I kind of feel for these workers who started at 9. I don't know if you do, but I certainly feel like that's a little unfair. And sometimes that happens at church too, right? Um, Zach and Mark, as a host team appreciation, they're doing Disneyland's. You all should have joined host team. It's next Saturday. And uh, some of people have been working on host team for three years, four years, or like a whole, a whole year before they got um, their appreciation day. But then they invited, um, Zach and, and, and Mark, invited people who have been only serving on host team for like a week, right, or a month. And they get to go to Disneyland too. Yeah, go ahead, tap them on the shoulder and look enviously at them. And, but I think there's a lot of bigger ways in which we feel 
this disgruntledness in our work, in us serving God's kingdom week in and week out, sacrificing, giving up Saturdays, going to small group when maybe everyone else gets to skip out. And I think when I look at this passage, I see this bold, bold place um, in this passage where they start complaining. And oftentimes when we complain about our work and our ministry, it kind of sounds like this, right? We look at others, and I wonder if you've thought this. I think all of us have if we've been in the church long enough. I definitely have. We look at others and we're like, he doesn't do as much as I do. Why is he being noticed more, right? Or why aren't others working as hard as I am? I come out early, I put down chairs, everyone else just strolls in. Have you ever thought that before? Or you're on a leadership team and you're carrying most of the weight? Or I've been here longer and she got a spot on worship or leadership before me? Or why aren't why are people happier to see her than me when, I've, when I'm the one serving more, right? I hear that, and I've, and I've thought it as well. Or sometimes we look at ourselves, and we think, man, no one sees the work I do at this church. The, the work I do goes unseen, whether it's campus ministry or at your workplace or here at Renew. No one notices my sacrifice. People won't even care if I'm gone. Why aren't I as accepted when I've been here longer. Other times, we stare at our work, and we are disgruntled, or we, or we can even become prideful. Man, I'm working so hard every week. I'm burnt out and tired and don't enjoy it anymore, but I'm still working, right? And, and some of us take pride in being burnt out and still working, out of obligation, out of maybe our integrity. And then I've done so much ministry, just scroll through my Instagram wall. I think for all of us who have been church for a long time, who have served in leadership, have felt or, or heard or, or thought these things where we feel like something's unfair about serving God, that we've served more than others, others are noticed more than us, where um, we look around and no one's working as hard as we, we are. And that's what these people who are hired at 9 a.m. are thinking. That's what they're grumbling about. They're grumbling because they've worked harder than the people who come at 5 p.m. And I think complaining, which is really indicative of, of this whole thing, happens when we do ministry with our eyes on ourselves, on our work, or in comparison to others. And again, I felt and thought all of these things. But when I look at this principle that the last will be first and the first will be last, I think about the people who come at five in the afternoon. I think about the people who are sitting there at the marketplace, right, who are idle. Um, Matthew Henry says this. He's, he's a 300-year-old um, pastor. He says, out of the marketplace where till they are hired into God's service, they stand idle, all the day idle. As an aside, by the way, I read this. I bought a Matthew Henry um, abridged whole Bible commentary when I was in maybe seventh or eighth grade. It was only 15 bucks because copyright don't apply to 300-year-old books, so I could afford it. And, and I just remember reading through this passage and, and hearing this line, and it stuck with me, and I pulled it out 25 years later for the sermon. And, and it just reminds me, again, as an aside, this is why we preach scripture and just spend week after week explaining uh, 
book after book, chapter after chapter, verse after verse to you. Because you might not appreciate it. It's not sexy on the front end. We'd rather hear about dating, you know, or married life. And, but 25 years later, you're still going to have Matthew 20 if you're following Jesus. And you're going to open it up, and there's going to be sermons that you've heard from myself, from Dave, from Kristen, right, uh, from, from the Changs. And, and it's gonna, God's going to speak to you through these words and faithful teachers that you have from the past as you open up his word to you. But again, as we go back to this passage, you know, I think about what it meant for these men to stand in the marketplace waiting for someone to hire them. I, I wonder if you've ever been there, literally, like unemployed. I, I remember when the recession hit in 08, 09, some of the closest family members and friends in my life were unemployed, and it was devastating. I've had friends lose homes. Um, I, I remember close people to me going years without being employed and it waning on their confidence and their value, not being able to provide the way they want to for their kids. I wonder if you've ever been unemployed or, or applied for a job over and over again, not get it, right? It, it's, it's crushing. It, it's, it sucks your soul away when, you're, when you want to work, but you're at home every day. It, it, maybe your friends look at you enviously, but you know that it's, it, you're just shrinking inside. And that's these men in the marketplace. They didn't have a land to cultivate and to go to work for every day. They didn't have a master or an employer as an indentured servant that they could go to. And back then, being an indentured servant, it, it was better than this. Because you knew that your master uh, cared about you, a lot of them, and treated you as family and would provide for your wife and kids. You knew where your next meal was coming from. But these men who stood at the marketplace, they were unsure if they could feed their kids that night. They were unsure if, if their baby cried for milk, if they were able to buy it from the marketplace and satisfy their hunger, or if they would have to hear them cry throughout the whole night, the way that that would torment a, a, a mother or a father. They were desperate. And they're standing in this marketplace, and their, their greatest hope is that someone would come and hire them, right? Someone would come and offer them a job, give them purpose. And I think the difference in, in terms of the first being last and the last being first is that the people who were hired at 9 a.m. started believing that they deserved the, this Daenerys. There was this longer distance between them feeling idle and wishing to be hired and them working. But the people at 5 p.m. knew that they didn't deserve this Daenerys. They remembered what it was like to stand idle in the marketplace for hours on end, giving up hope, and then they were brought into the field. And I think this is similar to our Christian journey, right? All of us, if we are uh, believers in Jesus, came to a point where we were floored by his grace, where the cross was unreasonable, and yet somehow God came down and died and forgave me of my sin. That was fresh at some point. But we can just start working year in and year out. And instead of focusing on this God who pulled us out of being idle and being purposeless and having to carry the brunt of our sin, 
and feeling utterly alone sometimes and giving us forgiveness and grace and family and love. When we've done nothing, he just pulls us out. Instead of having our eyes on Jesus and his grace, what do we do? We start looking at our work and getting angry that we're not, we're not acknowledged or paid enough. We start looking at others and start ladderboarding our righteousness with theirs and looking down and judging our brothers and sisters. We start looking at ourselves and taking pride of our accolades. So the people at 5 a.m. get it. They get its grace. They, they still remember this point of longing and desperation and the way that God came, the landowner came through. And the people at 9 a.m. forgot. And I wonder who we are as we sit here this morning. Because the, the encouragement is not, hey, go live a life of sin, and right before you die, <laughs> you know, be like, Jesus, I'm sorry, and then, like, you get to heaven, and now you're first in heaven. It's not that, right? The story is not that. The story previously is not saying be impoverished, powerless, and old, but it's what do we have in our hands and not allowing that to penetrate our hearts, that somehow our hearts and our hands have to be different, that we can hold power and, and riches and youth in our hand, but be impoverished in our heart and still hunger and thirst for righteousness and still be dependent on God and not money and still trust in the Lord instead of trusting in our power. And here it's saying we might have years of ministry in our hand. We might have an amazing pastoral or ministry or Christian resume. Every day we're serving foster kids. We might have that in our hand, but in our hearts, do we hold what's in our hands and our hearts? Or in our hearts, is it just Jesus saving us over and over again, this moment of going from death to life, this moment of going from wandering and idleness to great purpose in God's kingdom, from being an enemy of God to a friend? You know, I can, I can be a pastor who points to my laundry list of, of resume, right? Oh, I served 10 years at my first church, four years at my other one. I launched Epic at Cal State Fullerton. Then I ran Epic for Orange County and LA for a year, became chaplain of Trinity Law School, and then planted Renew. I can exist there, right? We can all exist there. In our accomplishments and accolades, we can point to our, re our spiritual resume, or I can go back and remember this kid who had to do fifth grade a second time, who was bullied, who got sick a lot, whose parents were super proud that he graduated eighth grade, even though all the other parents were like bored out of their mind, right? Like I could go back to that kid who really wasn't sure if he had a future and God saying, I want you to do ministry. I think what Jesus encouraging us is to, even if we have 20 years of service, to exist as if we've only served him for an hour, to allow the freshness of being saved and called, of Jesus approaching us at the marketplace, to always be close to our hearts. And when we do that, we serve in a different way. When we do that, we serve we do ministry with gratitude when we keep our eyes on Jesus' grace and our salvation close. Instead of letting years go by and, 
and allowing those years of work to define us, to define our value, to define the value of others. You know, I remember the first time uh, I got to lead worship, which I, I'm, I have a huge passion for, but very little talent. But I was at a church that had no one, basically, and was very desperate. And so, anyways, finally they invited me to lead worship. I remember driving to worship practice, and I had to pull over because I just started crying. I just started weeping because God gave me the opportunity to lead worship. And then two, three, five years later, I was worship, leading worship almost every other week with Ben for reality, right? And it became a burden. And I remember I would throw together sets apathetically because I would just be doing it the next week. Or I would feel like, oh, my gosh, why do I need to practice? Like, I can already play this song. You see the difference there? You see the difference between someone who sits with, with great humility that God would use him and someone who kind of feels like it's just another week in ministry. I think that's what I try to put a check on my heart. And as your shepherd, that's what I want to put a check on your heart too. That when we start riding in apathy and, and grumbling, it's time to take a step back from ministry and to remember God's grace and how he's chosen us and to be humbled by it. You know, Dave preached eight weeks in David because preaching became a chore. And I was like, man, I need some time away. And some of you, I've, actually, I've held you back from some ministry because I see your hearts are complaining and grumbling or just have taken it for granted. And there's other people I want to propel because there's a sense that, man, when I serve, it's such a privilege. You know, every week I try to thank Tony and Tani for doing coffee. And it's, it can become a tedious job. But every week, they're like, thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve coffee. And they say it with just this deep, like, sincerity, right? So it's not the position, it's the heart. And the heart comes because we're an hour away. Whether we're, we've been Christian for 20 years, whether we've been a pastor, whether we have been platformed, uh, whether other people have been complimenting us or not, we position our soul so that we're just an hour away from that moment of salvation and being idle because they're the ones that get it. The 5 o'clock people get it. The 9 a.m. feel like they deserve it. How do we continue to have our soul be at 5? The first in his kingdom are those who live in gratitude because of, his close, of the closeness of his grace and salvation. The last of, in his kingdom will be those who live and work for him and often complain. that Their eyes are on the work. It's easy to complain about the work. But those who do this right, they don't grumble about the heat of the day. They don't grumble about their work. Why? Because their eyes are on their Savior. Right? That's kind of the prodigal son, how it ends. This older brother has served faithfully his father for his whole life, but his eyes are on the service. And his father reminds him again, what about being with me? Wasn't that the blessing? Wasn't, wasn't the blessing staying at home so that we can have a relationship? Isn't being in the vineyard about being with the master and being in relationship with him? Because if it's not about that, everything else is a waste. And when it is about that, we don't complain. 
because we're humbled and we're grateful, and it's always a privilege. You know, I think about uh, the Ephesus church and Jesus saying, you're doing a lot of things right. You're persevering and you're suffering. You have good doctrine. You expel people who are teaching heresy, right? But you've lost your first love. Go back to what you did at first. Go back to that moment where you were just an hour away from being idle and hopeless and, and having no purpose. And remember that first love. Do the things you did at first. Me and Nina celebrated our seventh anniversary yesterday. And um, seven years is kind of a long time for some of us. And, um, and so in our anniversaries, we just go back. Remember, remember when we first met? <laughs> remember when uh, two weeks later I dropped the M word and you hid behind a couch? Remember, remember when, um, when we said our vows for the first time? Remember when I, re I was talking to my other friends. We were, we were having a lunch on our anniversary, and I was just talking about how I waited through, like, a thousand women to find Nina. You know, like, it, it was so painful, right? And, like, sometimes I'm, like, jealous of all of you who can do dating apps because I, have to, I had to use words and make eye contact and fight rejection. You have to swipe right. It's different. But, I, I, and, but then when I really think about it, I'm like, I don't want a thousand coffees. I don't want a thousand coffees. Like, I don't want to have a thousand coffees. And, um, and that just brings me back to, like, how precious Nina is. Because seven years later, you just kind of wake up. She calls me at five, not to say I love you, but to say, have you picked up Liam? Did you swift? Right, what's, what are we going to do with for dinner, right? Because it's just how life is. But then it's like, dude, I had to travel the world to find you. And you were in my backyard, and it was amazing. As a Christian of 20 years, what does it look like to go back to when God first found you and to have that close? Even though your hands have ministry and work and is tattered, that's not the focus, right? Your, your hearts are, are just an hour into your salvation, and it's meaningful, and it's precious, and that's what you do work out of. Father, we come to you and we again remember um, the moment, the moment you called us. That moment where we got it. You, you loved me and you died for me. And, and now I get to be family with you before I did anything good before I got to your field to work, you picked me up and you saved me. Father, I just pray for uh, my church family that we would be there this morning. That we would allow ourselves to sit in that, in our work. That we would have our eyes on you, God. In Jesus' name. Before we take communion this morning, I do want us to extend our time and just take seven minutes, um, go back to your small groups, and maybe just share an early moment where you encountered God's grace and it was real. And then that you would pray for each other, that ministry would come out of 
closeness with the gospel. I also want to encourage you, some of you are exploring Christianity, and, um, and I think this is good news for you too, because this whole message is how you don't have to work to be a part of God's family. You know, when Jesus was talking to people in this parable, he was talking to people who have been religious forever, but kind of are the nine o'clock people that just glory in their work and condemn others. And then he was talking also to like these sinners and prostitutes and people who are kind of scum of the earth. And he says, you guys are the five o'clock people because you get that it's not about work. And my kingdom is about, about the, that. And so if you might be exploring Christianity, I just want to say, man, it doesn't take anything of you on the front end. Like God just invites you in. He wants to um, know you and to love you and, and for you to know that you're his. Um, so maybe for those of you who are in that boat, maybe you could just reflect a little bit on that this morning. All right, we'll give you guys six minutes to share and pray, and then we'll go back into worship, and we'll love for us to take communion and remember uh, how Jesus died on the cross for us and that it would be new, that would be new again, him shedding his blood, him giving his body for us that it would be that first moment. So after you pray, please take communion together.